0: And welcome once again to another episode of In the Finest Hour, your 40k competitive podcast that tries to give you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, as always, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy. And I have with me the full cast and crew, including from the left, our good host, Shaylin Allen.
1: Greetings. I found Josh in the warp.
0: Yes. And from the right, Joshua Death, our evil host. She, she brought me back. I kind of had to. Yes. We're very happy to have the full crew uh, back together again, and hopefully, Josh is doing a little bit better some of these past couple weeks have seen him.
2: Definitely getting there, definitely getting there.
0: That's good to hear. Better is usually the best we can hope for at our age, it's <laughs> never going to be perfect. <laughs> Got that part right. So, while you were uh, away on leave, I'm sure that you had plenty of time to study up for all of the tests and quizzes that you missed, right, Josh? Uh, yes. Yeah, I know that tone of voice right there. (laughs) When you really kind of think about it, like, your tests and quizzes are the tournaments you go to. So, in that sense, hopefully...
2: In that sense, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, Had a, uh, actually got to do an event while while I was kind of on that little hiatus, and uh, uh, it was the Canadian Tabletop Championship, actually.
3: Oh, yes. Yeah.
2: We tried, we tried, we did a little hot take, but that was about the best. Uh, Internet in Canada sucks for anyone that is curious. Uh, It is is horrible and and miserable, (laughs) and I don't understand how they function in the... You know, as almost a third world country with their internet, it's horrible, it's miserable.
0: Well, you know, they eat beavers. But, uh, the event itself was, the
2: event itself was actually really great. Uh, for a first year event, to uh, be at the level they were, it was pretty awesome to see.
0: Yeah. And you, you took kind of an unusual army to it as well, which I'm sure was kind of interesting.
2: Definitely. Uh, and I only had one loss. Uh, I was actually really happy with that. The one that really surprised me was uh, I actually got paired against Rydvin, Arkanscari round one.
0: Yeah, that's... <laughs> uh...
2: I was like, oh, crap. But he was my only loss, so I was pretty happy with that for as, as an overall
0: home. Yeah. Did you learn a lot about the army from playing it?
2: I did, I did. It was, you know, there was, a, there was quite a few players. I made uh, quite a few mistakes. One of the biggest ones that I struggled with, and probably struggled with for the majority of the event was because I was so familiar with Demons, and Demons, a lot of their character auras, revolve around having a unit within range of the aura.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Where Marines, specifically two of the major auras I was using, uh, were models within range of the aura, not units. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I consistently was misjudging that distance by like half an inch or an inch here and there. And there were quite a few times it cost me. And uh, so that one was definitely probably the biggest takeaway learning experience that I got
0: from it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and learning is a really important part of this process. Like, one of the things I like to do as a kind of an engineering perspective is just, I take apart my games. What did I do well? What did I fail? Like, mm-hmm. if you're just, you got to be interacting with things constantly. You got to be picking things up and little tricks and traps. Like, I one of my favorite moments was surprising Josh by pulling a stratagem out of my back pocket in that one game we played. Yeah. <laughs> he was not expecting that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's... and it is little things like that that can make a big difference. It's just knowing that particular stratagem that most people are forgetting about, Mm -hmm. or remembering that an aura is models, not units... Or just all of those little details like that make up a big component of victory at the higher levels. Yeah, we were just rereading Stern's really crappy reroll Ooh, rule. Oh boy, wow, yeah. Because neither of us actually knew entirely what it said. We were both kind of guessing about it. It's like, you know what, why don't we just pull the codex up and take a look?
2: Oh yeah, his new one? Oh yeah, it's, it's horrible.
1: And it was worse than we planned?
0: Yeah. Um and 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 that's the sort of thing that I think it is actually very valuable that if you are looking to be a high level tournament player, just go back and read the codexes every once in a while. We've kind mm-hmm. of mentioned this before, but if you just have some free time, you're you know winding down at night or whatever it is, pick up the codex, sit there for ten or fifteen minutes, read through a few of the unit entries and maybe some of the relics or whatever
1: and and sometimes it's like it's fun to read it with someone else. It's like, all right, we're rereading blank today,
0: yeah. Uh, however it is you find is, is most convenient to kind of like learn and memorize that because uh, I think you'll find that for a lot of the higher level players they tend to know a lot about different books not just their own
3: mm-hmm. because
0: that is a very valuable asset when you step up to the game table is knowing what that enemy army can do mm-hmm. exactly
1: that's why I'm studying that right now so
0: yep. now and in Josh's case he's studying his own army it's just a different army than what he's used for very different and that's also very valuable is like you need to get used to playing different kind of armies. Shaylin is doing some of that as well.
1: Yep. I'm having fun actually having my shooting phase
0: matter. True story. Uh so that kinda takes us to the main topic of the episode here, which is playing from behind.
2: It's a
0: good choice.
1: Alright, yeah. Uh, I do this all the time.
0: Yes. It's, I think, a a topic that is not often discussed because no one wants to start out a game losing or even, you know, end up losing at any given point during the game. But it's very important because you are going to end up in a bad situation sometimes.
1: Yeah, sometimes armies just fold or you just get an especially bad turn or your opponent catches you off guard unexpectedly. There's Mm -hmm. so many ways where it's like, I didn't realize I walked into a trap. Oops.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And in those situations, you need to know what you can do uh, and how you can still try and pull a win out of it because that's something that really can differentiate an okay player from a great player is when you get that bad matchup or that bad dice roll or whatever it may be, and you still pull out a win.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's something that... Josh has seen a number of times in his games. I mean, if you're if you're playing a kind of mediocre army, then you get to yourself into that situation even more often. <laughs> I've had it happen to me, and I've
2: also uh, done it myself multiple times.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and contra wise, when you are in a good position, knowing what your opponent is potentially going to try to reverse that can be very valuable because you can watch out for the traps they're setting for you.
1: Yes. Basically, if you can cut off your opponent's choices or force them to do things they don't want to do,
0: you win. Yep.
1: So this is basically like, I know what you're going to do, so I'm going to cut off all your paths to victory and you're going to sit there and feel sad. Exactly. Well, actually not feel sad because you don't really want your opponent feeling sad, but they aren't going to win the game. (laughs)
0: Their army feels sad. Hopefully the player does not. (laughs) Let's kind of start this off from, I think, the most basic point of the looking at this is how did you get to where you are? Because I think this is actually very important.
1: I'd like to take a quick little aside. Um, When I get into these situations, this is the really one of the most valuable times to take notes. I know we talk about it a lot on the show. But if you're in a bad situation, you should be taking notes. Very true. Because if you find out how you failed, you know a way to fail, which is valuable because you know not to do that again. Absolutely. And if you succeed, you know a way to crawl out of it, which is also good. (laughs) So you don't lose...
0: Yeah, losing games are great learning opportunities, and you should definitely be taking advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as Jaylen notes, you really want to look for ways out of those losing situations, which is the most valuable lesson that hopefully you can take away from this. Yep. So I, I would say the, the first obvious question in, you know, how did you get in this situation is, like, what is it that got you here? Like, what is the factor that... Made this a losing matchup.
2: Well, there's, I mean, there's a couple different things that can kind of present as to how you wind up in a situation where you're behind. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one you kind of already hit on is the bad matchups, right? I mean, uh, it could be something as simple as yep. the list you brought was just an underpowered list. It was maybe not a very, you know, an optimum list, and that put you into a bad situation, <laughs> or you know, I'm sure everyone's been on the receiving end if you just have that one turn where, you know, you're running an Elder Army and you got zero psychic powers off the entire turn. Well, that's, you know, that kind of puts you behind. Yep. And now you're, okay, well, okay, I made all these plans, I made all these moves, and now none of them are going to work because none of those powers went off. Now i got to figure out how I'm going to recover, mm-hmm. you know, so th- there's there's another way, you know, bad dice, bad dice happen, you know. I made 100 rolls and I only made three successes, well, that's you're in a bad spot. How are you going to recover? And then, of course, there's the ever popular that no one ever makes because no one makes mistakes. Is bad choices. Yep. You know, you make a bad decision. Um, oh yeah. And uh, that those to me, those are the mo- have the most potential for learning mm-hmm. than any other because there's there's two things you walk away from with those ones. Is one obviously if you're able to be mindful enough to realize that you made a mistake and see that mistake, that's something you can then prevent in the future because you're going to try and learn from it and not do it again. Yeah. Also, that gives you information of when you made that mistake, what was the outcome and how do you recover from it? Because 90% of the time when you are when you get put behind, when you're having to play from behind, it's because you've lost units that you didn't intend or want to lose, either because you had bad dice or you had a bad matchup where you made
1: bad choices, but a lot of times it's because the resources you brought, they're not there anymore. Yeah. And
2: so the, the reason I actually like those opportunities when I made a bad choice and I lost a unit that I wasn't expecting to lose, the reason why I really look at those as such a valuable experience is because, so what happens on that game where turn one happens and I lose this really vital unit that I was planning on using Well, now here's my opportunity to, okay, well, let's play it out now. How do I recover from when I lose that unit? Because eventually it's going to happen. I'm going to lose it. How do I play without it? And so it's kind of a win-win. How do you learn from those moments? And so this is, it's a really big issue for a lot of players.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There is actually a a very good example of that with Brandon Grant at LVO, where he lost his Castellan on the first turn of the game and then played through the whole matchup without it and still won. Mm Mm-hmm. If your entire thought process is that I have to always be ahead, you're not going to be able to win that matchup. Because Brandon Grant was undeniably behind when he lost that Castellan. That's 600 points of his army, and his whole army was kind of built around that unit. Yes. So I would say that is the first thing you need to do once you figured out, like, what caused this. Was it my mistake? Was it bad dice? Or was it just a matchup that I knew was going to be bad from the start? mm mm-hmm. um, then you have to look at what resources you have. What do I have left? What can I still do? Because as Josh says, like you, know, you need to learn how to play down in these situations where you are missing key units. Hopefully you have the redundancy that your army still functions. If it doesn't, you have now learned something about your army that you need to fix. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have a redundant unit for every single role in the army, then your army doesn't work
1: or perhaps they've killed all your redundant units and that's a very different circumstance.
0: Well, you know, I'm talking about losing a single unit. But if they if you lose all your units, then you're then you're looking at
2: if you've built your your entire play structure around this this vital unit and that's the only unit of that type you have or the only the only unit that's going to do the job you're wanting it to do and you have nothing else in your army that can kind of cover that ground or even partially cover that ground, that right there You've already made a mistake.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. No, as Shaylin notes, like, sometimes you do lose all your copies of something. Like, you may lose all your anti-tank. You still need to be able to do something at that point. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I lost all my anti-tank and I'm fighting knights. What do I do? There has to be a way to try and recover this game.
0: Exactly.
1: And sometimes also, one of the reasons you're behind is you're making good tactical decisions and stuff, but you're not playing the mission is another way to be sure. getting behind, is like, you lost sight of your goal.
0: Absolutely. I would definitely file that under the uh, the bad decisions as a, uh, a an overall thing, because killing the enemy and w- losing the mission can... It's not really the plan you want to have. You kind of ideally want to be doing it the other way around. But there are lots of ways to fall behind, and losing units is not the only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, losing victory points is arguably even more important.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is, when you realize you've had this problem, like turn one is very different from turn four. Yes. Because in turn four, both of you have taken a lot of attrition, theoretically. Your opponent can easily have things swing out of their hands. Yep. But turn one.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: That's six turns of uphill, five turns of uphill battle for you. I'm oh, sorry.
0: Yeah. That's or or maybe even six turns if like things go badly on your turn one yeah I've, I've had that too where like you open up with all your shooting turn one and do basically nothing to the enemy and you're like uh oh yeah now what <laughs> uh-huh they still have six full turns so yeah like looking at like what are my resources left and how do these correspond to the turn i'm on is it's gonna be very different on turn one and sometimes it even happens before turn one with the, especially with the bad matchup. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, walk up and see, oh, that's Eldar Airplanes. Oh, I don't got nothing for that. Mm-hmm. You still got to play six turns of a game. Oh, yeah. Better come up with a plan, because you can't just give up now.
1: Yep. uh That's one thing, and the other thing is like, great, Eldar Airplanes. Well, oh, nope, I got the worst deployment possible. Fun.
0: Sure. uh And... All of that sucks. I 100% have been in that situation where it's just like, oh, I just I don't have a good solution for this. But here is kind of the key thing. You play the game anyways. Mm -hmm. Because even if you lose the game, you're still getting points. Yep. And the enemy can always have their dice turn on them as well.
1: Yeah. I have a great story. The Cali story is I had a canonist left on the table. She earned me nine victory points in the last
0: two turns she existed. Yeah, and that was a single model earned nine victory points.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, peace.
1: That woman was a badass. <laughs>
0: yeah, that is quite a job right there. And that's not very likely, but there are a lot of unlikely things that happen in the game. So... The other
1: thing she did was to strip points from my opponent yes. and actually got us within two points of a tie.
0: Sure. And that's why you, you need to have that kind of mental fortitude to stay in there. You can't just give up because things are going badly. So that is the number one lesson mm-hmm. for playing from behind is keep fighting. Never quit.
1: Channel your inner Cali, Kill yes. two monstrous creatures and take an objective.
0: Yes. But the flip side of that is you probably should be realistic in your expectations. You're probably going to lose because you are behind. That is what being behind means. Mm-hmm. Don't stop fighting, but when you lose that match, don't feel bad about it. You no. saw what was happening already. Um, take what lessons you can away from it, and get every victory point you can, and just understand that like you, you're 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 losing because you're behind. That's that's kind of the the way it is. Mm-hmm. So Shouen, you've talked a lot about risk in the past. Why yes. don't you why don't you sort of talk about that in the context of playing from behind here?
1: So. A lot of ways, and this goes back to that note-taking thing, is this will give you a sense of what risks are calculated, what are wild, and what are kind of, like, high and low... Because not everyone has an intrinsic sense of that in this game. It's so complicated. Sure. So taking notes uh, will give you the data you need to find that.
0: Yeah. And I would also just as like a supplement to that, like do some math hammer. So you do kind of have a, at least a little bit of a feel for that. But yeah. that may not be sufficient because if you're if you're playing for these kind of weird risks, you, you need to know like what the outliers are because that's what you're hoping for.
1: Yeah. And what happens again when you don't succeed? Because mm-hmm. there there's the whole all or nothing bet, and chances are an all or nothing bet is terrible plan. Because yeah. you have thrown everything in, and if one little thing goes wrong, you're gone. That's probably bad. Unless it's really, really likely to have happen.
0: Right. Well, you know, what what happens when you fail that nine inch charge out of the deep strike? Do you lose the game? Yeah, yeah. I I had that Come up this weekend when I left a hole in my backfield for someone to charge a couple of my vehicles, and he dropped his his Grandmaster Dread Knight in there, and he had a nine inch charge with a reroll, and he went for it, and he failed it with the reroll, and I vaporized all of his Grey Knight squad and the Grand the Dread Knight and all that, and just sort of like tore his army apart. And we were talking after the game, and he's like, oh, "If only I'd made that charge, it would be a totally different game." And I was like, "Yeah, that's true, but that was not an easy charge to make." No, you gotta, you I gotta know that. the odds of your risk.
1: Yes, which is why I would advise say the lesson you learn there is stage. Yes, earn yourself a better charge and go. That's yes. often the better plan.
0: And this is where knowing your risk comes in a lot, uh, because if you lose the game, if you fail a thing, just like straight up lose it, like oh, I put all my army right in front of them and I failed my charge at nine inches and I lost. Yeah. That's a problem. You can't afford to do that unless you are guaranteed to lose the game otherwise.
1: Yes. And if you're guaranteed to lose the game otherwise, there's no reason not to go for it. You got a 11-inch tw- charge that's going to get you on that objective to win the game? Go for it, dude. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if it's Tau Overwatch at that point. There's nothing else to lose.
0: Right. There's no consequence worse than losing the game.
1: Exactly. And that's why that canonist did so well, because her consequence was, I lose the game.
0: But, on the flip side... If you have not yet lost the game and are still in it, you know maybe they're playing up five hundred points on you because they killed a bunch of stuff. Don't risk completely losing the game on a chance that has slim odds of winning you the game.
1: Very much so. So and and there's kind of the idea of like small risks for small payoffs, yes. right? Like you can do something that's like, well, it's not going to be great if this happen if this fails. But if it succeeds, it's going to help me a lot. Mm -hmm. And basically, if it starts being like meh feeling about it, that's a light risk. If it's like an oh crap, that's a high risk. Just just judge your emotional feelings on the matter. They'll tell you whether or not it's a good idea.
0: Yeah, You need to correlate that to like the risks you need to take, because a big part of that is how far behind are you? Uh, if you're only one point behind, you shouldn't be risking very much.
1: No, if sure. you're seven points behind and you gotta play out some real shenanigans, then at this point, you're probably gonna lose the game anyway, so why not try something crazy?
0: Yeah, you, you kinda wanna gamble big at that point, because if you don't, you probably won't make it. And I almost won that game, so... <laughs> sure, it's and you gambled for it and you almost made it, and, you know, didn't end up happening, but you came a lot closer than you would have if you hadn't gambled.
1: Yeah, and that can uh, change your seating at tournaments. It can also, uh, like, if you have a gamble, a big gamble payoff like that, it can offset your opponent because it's like, I'm winning this. What? (laughs) Having your opponent strike back nine points in two turns is insane.
2: It's a monster swing.
0: Yes, that that is a big swing right there. So Josh, can you talk to us a little bit about priorities and how those are going to shift as you come into this situation? Because I think that is another thing that like you, you need to really step back and take a look at when you get into this losing situation.
2: Yes, exactly. When, when you get into a situation where you're, you're playing, you're, you're on your back foot or you're on the ropes and you're, you're trying to evaluate, all right, what am I going to do from here? The first thing you have to do, literally the first thing every single time, I don't care what got you in this position... First thing you need to do is you need to step back. You literally, physically, step the fuck back from the table. Forgive my language, sorry. Step back from the table and stop and look. Mm-hmm. Because it's very easy to get into those situations. You get emotional, your your adrenaline's going, you're like, oh shit, as happening, blah blah blah, whatever. And it's very easy to lose sight of the overall bigger picture. You 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 know, you were just talking about how you've got to look at these risk awards and and what's what's the risk versus the reward you're gonna gain. And before you can even get to the point where you're really assessing those risk and rewards, mm-hmm.
0: what is it that you need to do to win this game? Yes, yes.
2: You know the the comment we made a little bit ago is if I've lost all my anti tank and I'm playing against knights, I've got, I've still got to try and win this game. So in this position, what can I do now? I have no anti tank. So realistically my odds of actually killing these knights between now and the end of the game are slim. Yes. What do I need to do to win the game? Is it, do I need to just try and slow them down while I claim objectives? Do I need to run away from them and play keep away and let's hide the weasel? Or or what you know? what is it that I need to do to win the game? The first thing you have to do is you have to assess what do I need to do? What, mm-hmm. what job do I have to do? And, and this is one of those times I emphasize with a lot of players especially newer players, is this is where a lot of mid-tier players and higher-end players separate at this exact moment. Because a lot of the mid and lower-tier players, when they get in this position, it's very easy to just get on the, okay, well, I'm just going to try and kill them with what I got, it doesn't matter. Or I'm just going to try and kill them. Mm -hmm. But that's really and truly where they're losing the game. Because you can still not be able to kill any of these knights and win the game. Play the mission. Look at the mission. Always play the mission. Yeah. That's where your first thing you're doing is you're checking your priorities, right? At this point, obviously my priorities are changing. I'm not killing any knights in this game. Roger that. Done. That's off the table. Yeah. And the irony in this situation is a lot of people don't realize that it's also rather liberating when these situations happen because it's kind of like when you lose a sense. I lost my hearing or I lost my vision, but I'm able to focus on other things and that's where you're, that's where you're really going to need to assess.
0: Yeah. And yeah. I think it's very good to look at it That from that perspective of, it's not about what I could have had, or what I had last turn, or where the game state might have been. Look at where the game state is. Yeah. And work from there, because it doesn't matter what your army had at the beginning of the game. What matters is what you've got on the table now and what you're dealing with now.
1: Yeah, and as Josh was remarking with the battle plan of like, okay, playing hiding, playing delay games, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a killing versus scoring argument. Like, okay, do I need to go in and kill things? Because sometimes the answer is, yeah, I just need to try to kill them with what I got. But that's usually not the answer. Sometimes the answer is, okay, I have to outscore them. I have to outmaneuver them.
0: Or it may be a, uh, a matter of, I need to kill these specific units and I no longer have any interest in killing certain other ones. Yes. Like, if he's already blown up your three predators, who cares how many last cannons he has left? Yeah. Don't bother killing those last cannons. Go after everything else.
1: Yeah. And also, is this going to be the long stretch or a short stretch? Do you just need to tide him for a turn for something to cripple? Or right. do you need to, like, push him back for a couple turns
0: yeah how many turns do you have left in the game and and how long can your army endure given what is on the table because if it's turn four and both of you already shot most of each other's guns off the table you may be able to just kind of like bunker down and take it for a couple turns
1: yeah and additionally you know if you manage to like get yourself back up into the on foot position your opponent's gonna try to crawl themselves back too strategies are ever evolving and moving so you're constantly shooting at a moving target so know your opponent will adapt to what you're
0: doing yeah and even if you still have even if they're still in the lead if you change your strategy if they're smart they're going to change their strategy still too because they're going to see oh he's playing a different game now exactly yeah try and predict what your opponent is going to do in response to your predictions uh, yes. It's this kind of like infinitely deep game, but even just going one layer deep, like, okay, I'm gonna hide. Then what's he gonna do if I hide? Yes. So the the next thing that I think really you have to take at this point is you kind of you figured out where you're at. You've looked at where the game situation is. Mm-hmm. Now you need to look for opportunities.
1: Ah yes, the ever present, eh <coughs> eh 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 pounce.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, you've assessed, now. You, you know, you're like, okay, well this is now, you've figured out what you need to do to win, now how the hell do you get there?
0: Exactly. Uh, and there's going to be a myriad number of ways that you can do this, because obviously there are thousands and thousands of different game states. Yep. Um, but being able to learn and recognize for when your opponent makes mistakes, because that's what you're really hoping for, is that you can sort of counter your mistake with their mistake, uh, mm-hmm. or their bad, di- your bad dice with their bad dice, or similar things like this, uh, where you can take gaps in their gameplay and take advantage of them the exact same way that they have presumably just done to you. Exactly. This is where a lot of that experience and sort of note-taking and stuff that Shailen and Josh both talked about comes in, because you need to be able to identify them first. If you don't see the mistake when they make it, you can't take advantage of it.
1: No, um, and this is also where soft play practice comes in, because if your opponent goes, ah, shit, right after their turn, right. you need to know why they just said that.
0: Yes. Uh, practice is paramount in these situations. Um, in In part because, like, you need to see it, but then you also need to know what you can do to take advantage of it. If they've overextended with a unit, it doesn't help you any to then overextend with one of your own units. You're just trading mistake for mistake for mistake at that point. Yeah. You need to figure out what you can safely do to take advantage of that overextension.
1: Yeah. Oh, you overextended that. All right. Well, maybe I can pincer and cut it off.
0: Exactly. Or or whatever it may be that your army does, whether it's shooting, assault, psychic, movement Mm -hmm. control, any number of things. But taking advantage of that mistake and being able to see it when they make it is very important here. Oh, yeah. Uh, because unless you can see where the fault is, then you're, you're not going to be able to break them over it.
1: And as Josh was pointing out in his knights example was he can't beat them at the killing game anymore. He's now playing an objective scoring game.
0: Yep. You will often have to radically alter your plan when you are coming into this very bad game like this. Yes. Uh, if they have three knights left and all you've got is a bunch of models that can't kill tanks, you can't play the same game anymore. Mm-hmm. Not gonna work. You know you can't kill those knights. So don't try. Josh has kind of talked about, like, the the distance of engagement and stuff like this. That same concept can apply here. If you can't beat them in close, don't be close. If you can't win the psychic game, don't play the psychic game. Mm -hmm. You have to fight them in a way that is possible to win. And there will be some parts of the game that are just not possible to win anymore after a particularly bad matchup or roll of dice or whatever.
1: As I call the cave, at a certain point, there is no return. Yes. You also need to be able to recognize that. Like, all right, at this point, I, there's no conditions in which I can achieve victory. At this point, I'm point scrounging, which is a very different tactic.
0: Sure. Um, although I would argue in a lot of ways related because you are, like, in either case, you're trying to get all the points you can Yes. Now, your expectation of victory may be very, very, very low at a certain point, but as with your Kali example, like, Mm -hmm. sometimes you come surprisingly close. You weren't expecting to win that game, I don't think, but...
1: Neither was he. He was expecting to have two monstrous creatures alive right there, and he lost
0: both of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, like, know when you are in that situation of no return, and know when to just go for it. It's like, I have nothing left to lose. I'm all in. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. This canonist is going to kill a bunch of shit and get on an objective, and you're just going to sit there and go, What the hell just happened?
0: Yes. Well, uh, speaking of folks that are about to ask us what the hell just happened, I heard a shout from way down past the other side of the barracks, and I think we are late. Not my fault. That was the commissar this time, and he is shouting your name, so... I didn't hear my name, so I'm just going to walk very quickly in the other direction, and you guys do what you need to do. We will catch everyone on the flip side of the episode. Northwest Area Gamers. If you're looking for a major ITC event happening in the later end of the year here, think about Stumptown Stomp. It's a charity event, and at only $55, the majority of which does go to charity, you can get in for two full days of gaming on November 16th and 17th, and it comes with a potluck lunch on the first day of the event. There are a variety of prizes, raffled as well as awarded, for both painting, sportsmanship, overall, and generalship. So come on down to Guardian Games and give it a spin.
1: Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god! Let me tell you about this amazing tournament I went to last year. It was the Boardroom Brawl GT in Grand Forks, Canada. This year, they're doing it again, August 3rd and 4th. It includes a post-game barbecue on Saturday, which is the best social thing ever. Also, fantastic terrain that is just super cool and kooky and engaging and some of the most finest players you will ever meet totally worth the trip to Canada for please go guys
0: And we are back. Squad morale has been restored, with a minimal number of executions needed.
1: Yes, I'm amazed uh, you're still walking.
0: I was not the first one in line. Here's the thing about heresy, as long as you're not the most heretical, it's okay. <laughs> Commissar only has so many bullets issued.
1: Yeah, I did take the chainsword to your butt, though. That was pretty funny.
0: Yeah, that's why I had that armored butt. Let's talk a little bit about different ways you can deal with a problematic match. And I think starting in the one that the most people are going to run into most often, which is a bad matchup.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: So as we said, like, if you're coming into a bad matchup, you need to, first of all, stop and assess. Um, That is, you do it exactly the same way, even though it is happening on turn zero. You need to make that stop and assess moment, just like Josh said, for a bad matchup. And ask yourself, first of all, why is this a bad matchup for me? What is it that I can't handle?
1: So it's probably a matter of they have a lot of threat that is specifically designed at a lot of your army. Could be. There is a lot of I don't have solutions for some of the things they have. If you've built an unbalanced list, for example, it's like I don't have a solution for the Eldar Flyer list.
0: Right it may very well just be that their targets are very poorly suited to whatever weapons you have Mm -hmm. or that they can outmaneuver you or outscore you. Yep. Uh, There, there's a lot of different things that can go into having a quote unquote bad matchup. But the first thing you need to do when you're stuck in that bad matchup is figure out why it's bad. And then, like we said before, don't play that game. Mm -hmm. Um, if you know you can't beat the Eldar flyers in a shooting match, don't play a shooting match. No, play a scoring match, because you can probably beat them in scoring, but you almost certainly can't beat them in shooting. So if you walk into that matchup and say, like, okay, you know, I need to score all the points I can get, how can I score points most efficiently? Yes,
1: and with minimal sacrifices, since they can outshoot me.
0: Exactly. That's where having a, a strategy of some kind becomes really valuable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because you you can't just go into it with no plan. You can't just say, well, I hope I roll a lot of sixes, because that's not going to fly. You need to go into it with some sort of understanding of, even though this game is bad for me, I still have some kind of way that I can achieve a potential path to victory.
2: I so, mean, you know, always have a plan, but you, you need something there.
0: Yes. Yes, and and this is actually where a lot of people who build very unbalanced lists can run into problems, because oftentimes they'll have a list that only has one path to victory, and when they run into something that can stop that path, they're done. They realize there's nothing. They have no backup. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not to say that those lists are inherently bad. They can work but you have to be very careful because there will be some games where you'll just run into it and you'll be like, oh, I can't do anything about this because all of my tools are for doing only one job and that job just doesn't work here. Yeah. So building with a little more list diversity in mind can be very valuable here. Uh, The the, kind of the opposite of that is your toolbox lists that are just a dozen different really useful and efficient units that don't really do anything in particular. They just are very good. Yeah, and you make them do whatever you need to in any given matchup.
1: Yeah. Yep. And in the Eldar list, for example, when we were talking about it in the flying at list in houses episode, mm-hmm. as we talked about being really good with your target priority, so this goes oh, back yeah. to you're making your target priority solution here. You have to kill some of the flyers. There's sure. no way around that. So it's like, even if it's not a bad matchup, where am I going to focus my efforts right. in identifying that right away?
0: Yes, because, you know, you're, you're not going to just sit there and do nothing, obviously. Um, even a matchup where you're not trying specifically to kill, you still need to kill that one unit each turn for your ITC points. Mm-hmm. So know what your targets are and what is important, and especially what is important in their list and important in your list. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you're playing, say, that night matchup, uh, and you have one Smash Captain,
3: mm-hmm.
0: better keep that guy alive! because um, he's the most important thing in your army at this point. Yep. He's all that can kill those knights at all, or even keep them away from your other guys. Yeah. Uh, and by the same token, if you are playing that, that night game, you're like, well, I have one Smash Captain left, and you now nine CP or whatever, every one of those CP now needs to be fed into that Smash Captain. You yeah. cannot afford to spend them in anything else. And that's a case where you're identifying what is it that can win me this game. Mm-hmm. You have to find what things are important and which things you can afford to sacrifice.
1: I can sacrifice, you have night Strike Squad, but I can't sacrifice a Smash Cap and they're standing in front of.
0: Exactly. Um, or, you know, it may be in a totally different matchup. You, or, you know, let's take that Flyers one. You know, you look at it and you say, okay. I can't stay alive if he gets to shoot his hemlocks every turn. Mm-hmm. You know, those hemlocks will tear my vehicles to pieces. I can survive the other shots, but not the hemlocks. Well, now you know you need to kill those hemlocks. That is your number one priority. Mm-hmm.
3: And you need to find a way to do it. Yes, yeah.
0: whatever that way may be. And if you if you find you can't kill those hemlocks, you don't have the tool at all, then you need to reframe what you're doing and say, okay... His his hemlocks are going to be alive, I can't kill them, how can I stop them from shooting at me? Mm-hmm. Or how can I give him other targets that he wants to shoot more, rather than the things that I want to keep alive?
1: Yes. There's also uh, what I would call faint plays at this point, because it's like, alright, I have a unit I've determined is disposable, I'm going to send it out here, and commit it to getting on this objective, which, I don't care whether or not it gets there, but it's going to make my opponent have to look at it.
0: Yes. Uh, because again, like you're, you're trying to make your opponent make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So if you put that unit over on that one objective that doesn't change anything, they're like, Oh, that's an easy kill. I'll just send my hemlock over there to take that unit out. That's a win for you. Yep. Because you're, you, you man, you needed the hemlock to stay away from your other units. Uh, or maybe that unit does earn you a point which matters. Um, hmm? Recognizing where those plays are and, and where they can benefit you is really, really big when you're playing for behind like this.
1: Yes. Can, can a unit do a two-for-job where in either situation you still win? You win either a point or you win because you slow down your opponent's tempo.
0: Yes. Uh, and tempo is often very, very important in a situation like this. Uh, because you need to take whatever units are most critical to their game plan into, that are preventing you from winning your game plan and make sure they are out of position or out of actions or whatever else you can do to deactivate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, can, if you can't kill them, how can you neutralize them at least? Yes, yeah. because killing is not the only way to get rid of a unit.
1: No, um, I... You know, folder. just sacrificing the units. Like, all right, this unit stopped you for a turn. I killed your engagement this I, turn.
0: I cannot even begin to count the number of times that I have charged a unit into something, knowing it will die, but also knowing that it will survive until the enemy's turn and thus prevent them from charging me. Yes. And that's exactly the kind of play you will have to make a lot of the time. It never feels good, but you know what? If it wins you the game, who cares? Exactly. All units exist to die. Mm
2: -hmm. And this is also one of those times where uh, you can start to, you know, when you start to learn to make those assessments, you can start to use your opponent's psychology against them, not even just the tabletop itself, but actually the Mm mindsets. And and what I mean by that is, is a prime example, you take a Mortarian. Let's just run with Mortarian as the example. I'm I have Mortarian on my list, and ninety percent of players that play competitively, they're like, "Oh my god, this Mortarian! I have
0: to deal with him. I've got to stop him in some way, shape, or form." Mm-hmm. At that point, you can use Mortarian. Yep.
2: Not just as the beat stick is that he is, but you know your opponent's going to want to kill him. Use something that you know psychologically, mentally. Your opponent's looking at this like, "Oh my god, that's a threat." Why is that a threat? Because every other time I've played against him, it's a threat. Yes. Yep. And so if you use that against your opponent, like, okay, I'm going to run this guy way over here in the corner over here because he's going to go after him, he's going to kill him. Great, he's done that. And now he's going to spend two turns getting back into the table with whatever he sent over to kill him. And that just bought me two turns of controlling the table.
0: Absolutely. Yep. You, If you think about it from that tempo perspective, sacrificing Mortarian to buy two turns of gameplay, that's a fantastic deal right there. Oh, yeah.
2: Exactly. And that's one of those moments where you're not just using, your, you're not actually using the quote-unquote statistics or the numbers. At this point, you're using the meta. I say this with quotation marks. Mm-hmm. You're using the meta against your opponent because your, your your opponent's preconceived notions or experiences is what you're playing on.
0: Yeah. Exactly a lot of these strategies that we're talking about are going to hopefully take advantage of gaps that are from your opponent kind of playing on autopilot. Yes. Like, they just have a default response to whatever it is you do. It's like, ah, you sent Martarian over there, that means I send my units over to kill him. Exactly. Uh, and if they'd actually stopped and thought about it, they'd be like, oh, I don't need to kill Martarian if he's over there, he's not a threat to me there. Mm-hmm. But their mind just sort of says, Martarian equals threat, and they never think it any further than that exactly yep that sort of uh move can also be very beneficial as as josh was saying kind of as the you know being one step ahead of your opponent yeah they can often leave their units exposed in that way yes Um, that maybe you send mortarian over and they kill the they kill mortarian but now like all their infantry are sitting out in the open you're like well you know yeah you killed mortarian but i'm gonna kill more than 400 points of your guys in response that's a trade i'll take
1: yeah as we've been talking about here taking out threats and knowing when a threat is a threat we're throwing away yes like your opponent's like they're crusaders all the way over on the other corner table screw that guy i don't care he can have that little corner of the table whatever
0: exactly
1: it's a corner i want the middle of the board
0: this kind of comes back around to that that assessment phase of know what's important and what isn't and if he doesn't identify that properly you're doing good
1: Yes. And this is another thing to do when you're playing from behind. Assess every turn. Yes. Game turn and player turn. You need to be assessing this and reassessing this constantly.
0: You you probably have a fair fair bit fewer models than you normally would if you're in this bad situation. That usually losing translates to fewer models. hmm uh, That gives you a little bit more time to stop and think about things. And you really do have to do that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about aggressive strategies okay? uh, in particular, because we've talked about kind of like bad matchups and sacrificial units and how you can use those. But let's talk a little bit about when you need to go extremely aggressive when you're losing, Mm -hmm. Uh, because sometimes you will lose a chunk of your army, but not so much that you can't hurt the enemy still. Yes. Uh, If you lose 500, 700 points on the first turn, you're definitely feeling the loss, but you still have... Thirteen or fourteen hundred points of army left. Hopefully, that can do some work. Yes.
2: A lot of it also will go down to, especially because so much of the of the eighth edition is uh, geared around this concept of you know you have defensive units and offensive units in your armies, and a lot of times where if what I've lost in the first turn was all of my defense, you know all of my screens or all of my board control or whatever you want to call it, whatever whatever's the the shield of my army. If that's gone, mm-hmm. I still have the the offensive part of my army, I still have the thing that punches, it's still there, so the key here now is, how can I capitalize on it being there before it all dies?
0: Absolutely. Yes.
1: My shield's gone, but I can still punch them and knock
0: them over. Well, you know, if, if someone no- knocks that shield out of your hand, you better get both hands on the sword.
2: Yep, and swing for the fences.
0: Exactly. And Mm -hmm. I think that is what I would say is the the key thing, is when you identify a situation that you can say, okay, I have lost my defenses, but I still have my offense, you really need to hit the opponent as hard as you can to make sure that they can't capitalize on your shield being gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oftentimes, that will mean taking out their most threatening units. If they've blown away all your screening units then you need to say, okay, I can't let them charge me anymore. Mm-hmm. So, that unit that is 11 inches away and has a 10-inch move, it's gotta die this turn. Yep. I don't yes. care how hard it is, it's gotta die.
1: Yes. Um, that is exactly something I've been learning with Tao, is like, alright, broadsides, you're gonna nuke everything that's too close.
0: Yes you often have these kind of like radii around your units it's like the closer it is to you the more dangerous it is but for more shooting oriented armies the the range itself may be somewhat less important Mm -hmm. uh, but they may still be threatening in their own way if they have a you know a shadow sword or what have you then you'll sort of like look at that and be like well okay that does need to die because that's where all the enemy's firepower is coming from Mm
1: -hmm. score any easy points you find
0: Yes. Well, and that's that's another part of it. Aggressive does not necessarily mean offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be that they have killed a bunch of your killing units, but left you with scoring units, in which case you need to score all the points you can right now before they degrade all of your other scoring units, because they're going to win the killing game.
2: Yes, exactly. So
0: mm-hmm. get every point you can this turn and next turn, because three turns from now, none of those units may be left. Mm-hmm.
2: Another prime example of that, actually, was that game that you mentioned, uh, Brandon Gramps, LBO. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah? His final game. That's another prime example of that, obviously. You know, losing the night turn one, and over the course of the next, you know, turn and a half, he lost almost all of his really heavy, damaging power in his army. Yep. But he still had all this board presence, uh, you know, all these you know, his screens and all these guard squads and all that jazz. So
0: he he wasn't out
2: of it. He's like, okay, well, at this point, exactly that, let's let's flood the table and start grabbing objectives and scoring points. So he was playing aggressive, but exactly, he wasn't playing offensively.
0: Yes. yes. Uh, and that actually illustrates another very good point that kind of ties in there, which is take control of the board. If you can't kill the enemy, take control of the board. Mm-hmm. Even if you're going to lose it next turn, just getting that one, like, four- or five-point turn can have a huge impact on the rest of the game.
2: Yes. Make them take it back.
0: Yes, because then they have to extend in order to undo everything you've done. And maybe they can, and maybe they win the game, but maybe they overextend, or they aim for the wrong thing, or you get some good luck. And maybe you hold it for two turns when you weren't even even expecting it to make it for one. Now yeah. you're two five-point turns in a row, they're going to be hard-pressed to come from back from that at all. Yeah.
2: yeah even, if they, even if they wipe you out over the next two turns after that, it
0: still doesn't matter at this point, because you've already
2: grabbed yourself enough of the lead that, okay, well, you killed 80% of my army, but I'm still winning by three, or whatever. Exactly. exactly.
0: You, with an aggressive strategy like this, you really are looking to grab the lead in either points or units, one or the other.
1: Yes. When you are trading units, you should be trading in hopes of trading up,
0: Right, Uh, because an aggressive strategy very often will be trading units. You know, uh uh-oh, you killed off my thing. I'm going to use this thing to kill yours, but then you'll kill it. Hopefully what you're managing to do there, or what you're aiming for, is that you can kill stuff that is better than what you're losing. Because obviously if you don't, then you're probably going to lose the game because you don't have any units left.
1: Exactly. And there's some passive things you can be doing contrast to that aggressive strategy we've right, just been talking uh, about.
0: Going hyper-aggressive like this can work when you're playing down. It's like, well, my gamble is... It's a huge risk. It's a, it is a huge risk, but mm-hmm. sometimes you have to take it because, you know, you don't have a good option. Yes. But sometimes the correct strategy is actually to do the opposite and say, okay, I lost a lot of my units last turn. I need to conserve the units I have left because I think I can win the long game.
2: Yes. This is one of those times where as a player you need to, you have to break yourself out of the quote-unquote mold Mm -hmm. or the autopilot in, okay, I've got this unit of guardsmen or this unit of marines and, you know, every turn you're, you have this unit in 24 inches or 12 inches, and you shoot. That's what you do. You move these guys and you shoot. And I take my 20 shots at that squad over there to maybe do a couple wounds. Why? Because that's what you do. But this is one of those times where you really have to assess what am I
3: mm-hmm.
2: what what am I putting out there? Am I risking this 10 guard squad to maybe kill a model? Mm-hmm. And what am I gaining for that model? Mm-hmm. Yeah. am i am i potentially losing my 10 man guard squad because i don't have a lot left and if they die that's one more unit i don't have so is it worth risking my 10 guards to maybe kill one model because if killing that one or two models isn't getting me anything then, then it's not worth putting them out there yeah absolutely
1: and another thing i do mentally is i look at it and i'm like i should be advancing a lot of stuff this turn
0: mm-hmm.
1: what am i not advancing yeah. Why am I not advancing it?
0: What actually needs to be trying to kill something, and what should just be repositioning itself? Because if you're playing this more passive game, position is often to be very, very important. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that may mean get positioning to get onto scoring, or maybe positioning to get out of threat range. Um, As Josh kind of mentioned earlier in passing with that knight example, maybe you just need to get away from those knights. And if that means advancing every model in your army just as far away from them as possible and hiding inside buildings, that's fine. If you get to some place they can't kill you, suddenly you're in a much better position.
1: Yes. Tactical retreat. So when you're doing that kind of passive strategy is I just say, okay, I should be advancing things. Why am I not advancing it? Do I have a good reason to not advance this unit? Yes. Yep. And it needs to be a damn good reason.
0: Right. Not just like, oh, I might take a wound off the knight. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, because... Just...
1: This Grey Knight Squad's in position to shoot off his unit holder right here. I can strip him of the points so we can tie. That's good.
0: Or I need to kill a unit. I will dedicate this one of my units to killing one of his units.
1: Exactly.
0: And in those situations I often think of my units almost as like rationing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, okay, I'm down to eleven units left, I have three turns of gameplay to get through. I cannot lose more than three units per turn.
3: Mm-hmm. That's
0: just at anything more than that, and I'm losing the game.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So you need to figure out, okay, if I put this unit on the objective, I'll get the objective, but then I'll die. How many turns can I maintain that for? Mm-hmm. Do I need to start moving units towards this objective now so that when I run out of units two turns from now, I'll still have something that was across the board two turns ago uh, that I can move on to that objective? You need to be thinking well in advance and really have a plan. Break yourself out of that turn-by-turn headspace. Yes. Mm -hmm. And get into the planning mode where it's like, okay, this is how I need the rest of the game to go because if it goes any other way, I don't win. Exactly. There's there's
2: an, another side of that that I, I've actually found. I've done. Uh, I do fairly uh, a lot more now than I think I've done in previous editions. Is when you when you're talking about rationing your units and and when you're trying to look at okay, well, I've got three turns left and I've got these units on the table. Using the example, I'm going. I went second or whatever, which a lot of times seems to be you know when you get put into positions like this. Of the eleven units I have on the table, eight of them. Are fairly resilient, or they're positioned well, where my opponent's not going to be able to kill them anytime soon. So, but I've got these other three units still out there. So I've done it many times, even even more recently still, where my opponent's already killed five units this turn. He's up on me; it's hurting. I'm, I'm in pain. Okay, mm-hmm. I will quite often charge or find a way to pretty much get him to kill these three units now mm-hmm. rather than next turn. And because what I'm taking away from him now is I sacrifice these units to him right, right here and now, bam, turn where he's already got kill and kill more. It's guaranteed. There's no way I can take it away from him. But now for the next three turns, he's not even going to be able to get a kill one, more or less kill more. Yep. And that's six points I just took away from him rather than the three points he got by just killing and killing and killing every turn for the next three turns.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when you're playing these very passive strategies where you're just kind of trying to scrape it out to the end of the game, and you are making that plan, you need to think about, what is my opponent going to do next turn? And how am I going to balance the points against him? Mm -hmm. Because if you are behind in points, you need to figure out, how can I take as many points away from him and get as many for myself? Yes. And if you're ahead on points, you need to say, how can I minimize everything he gains? Yes. Because you, you, you need to stanch the bleeding, and that's what this passive kind of strategy is all about, is just, how do I limp my way to the end of the game? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's enough, especially if you're on the bottom of the turn. It can be very easy to score a surprising number of points.
1: Yeah, uh, in the last few turns, it's like, all your stuff spread out in awkward places, jump, 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 jump!
0: Yep. Especially as you get towards that end of the game, it starts to become very difficult to kill things, and you may be able to just draw your opponent out. It's like, oh, I didn't kill anything this turn, but you didn't either. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Guess we stay even on that point. Oh, looks like I'm on more objectives than you.
1: That's all I need?
0: Exactly. You're just... You're looking to scrape out those small edges, especially at the end of the game. So, uh, I think we've covered... I won't say all of it, because this is another one of these really deep subjects that I imagine we'll come back to in the future, but we sort of covered the broad strategies of the kinds of things you need to do when you're coming from behind. Do either of you two have anything you want to kind of put as a, to tie a bow on this whole thing? Play the mission.
1: Yep, play the mission, Swan. I was going to just say, if you're in an emotional state that you can't even think after you've taken your step back, go to the bathroom, head underwater, come back yes literal face water
0: when when we talk about stepping back and assessing it sometimes really does help to like literally walk away from the table and just be gone for five or ten or even 20 minutes if that's what it takes Mm -hmm. so that when you come back to the table you can you have a clear head and you can play the game as the game that's on the table and not the game in your head
1: yes and i actually advise the water on face thing because that's a actually an instinctual wake up mechanism it forces your body to change your brain state sure
2: i had to do it just the other week just a couple weeks ago i had to do that exact thing yeah i was uh it was one of the games that i played when i was running that that imperialist and i had taken the obligatory assassin that everyone runs and i had a vindicare assassin and i had this vindicare assassin fire six out of six turns went full six turns and he missed six out of six turns Ow. Rerolling twice and still missed. So, in essence, eight ones. And it was that, that the very last one, it was literally the difference of like, that was my kill a unit and the unit that he was also running over to an objective that was going to be out of line of sight the rest of the game. And it was like, I needed to kill this thing. Yeah. And it was like, all I got to do is roll a two, you know? And so it was, and, it, and when it happened again, I literally I was like, I just paused, and I'm like, I need a minute. And I just had to, I had to walk away, and I went to the bathroom, kind of splashed the face water on my face, and I'm like, take a deep breath, it sucks, whatever, how can I find a way to still pull it out, you know? And that's, and it was actually, I ended up, I ended up drawing the game rather than losing. Hey. But it was, that, that was an exact moment where literally I had to step, I literally had to physically step away.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if that's what it takes you to get you back in the game, it's, it's worth it, no matter how much time it takes, because... If you're just playing to lose, doesn't matter how much time you have on the clock. Yeah. But if you can put yourself in a mindset where you are capable of winning, that's worth any amount of time it takes you spending to do that. Yes. So, uh, hopefully everyone has found this episode very useful. Maybe we'll be able to turn one or two of their losing games into winning games, or at least draw games, which is still better than a loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have questions or comments, you want to send us a little something we have an email in the finest hour at gmail.com yes. as well as a facebook uh, also in the finest hour where you can send us messages mm-hmm. and if you would like to donate a small $5 per month to be part of our discord and private facebook chat you can get your daily talk on with all the hosts, talk about us with lists, post stupid memes, show off your painting skills, do all the the fun, usual socializing stuff we have there, and a little bit of money helps to go towards paying our, our hosting fees and equipment that we buy and all that sort of thing. What upcoming events do you have, Josh?
2: Ironically, I have an event coming up in June that I will not be playing at. I'm actually going to be... Running a, I actually am running a booth at, in Vegas.
0: Mm. Oh, the, um, Wasteland? Yeah, yep, yep.
2: Then also the Tabletop Expo coming up in July. That's a big one. Oh, and of course the Trip C, the the event that I'm actually judging. (laughs) The Trip C in, uh, it's the July 4th weekend. It's, I'm actually totally stoked about the idea of this tournament, because it is a two-day GT held in a Dave & Buster's. Uh, it's got a f- buffet. It's got a full buffet provided. It's pr- it's part of your ticket. Uh, and it's got an open bar, and waitresses come around and serve right at the tables. And every player gets a game card for unlimited video games during the entire time of the two days of the event. Nice. Perfect. That one is it, right here in Cleveland. So anyone that happens to be in the, the Great Lakes area around July 4th, it is Really gonna be an awesome weekend.
0: That sounds like a ton of fun. Yeah. Personally, I have the uh Kurz Was Right to GT coming up in the very beginning of June. Uh that's gonna be up in Bremerton, Washington. And then June twenty second I've got Throne of War out in Hawaii. And then end of June I have Boise Cup, run by Mr. Aaron Albert, Captain A himself. Uh it's a very good event. It's a really nice venue and um glad to be making it out there for the second year it's looking to be even bigger than it was the first time so i'm really looking forward to that Mm
3: -hmm. that's awesome
0: i would like to say thanks to uh, dank muse who provides the music for this episode he is a very groovy guy has provided all that for us so if you enjoyed our intro outro check him out at uh, dank muse on either spotify or soundcloud or on youtube
1: I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow, our amazing resident artist. You can find him at uh, Rylan Woodrow, also on Instagram. And you can find him one of our Crosstalk episodes. So, hey!
2: And, of course, if anyone is interested in any potential advertising opportunities, uh, please do not hes- hesitate to reach out to us at inthefinesthour at gmail.com. Or you can obviously message us on In the Finest Hour via our Facebook or our Patreon. Yep. Please do not hesitate. Uh, we love to be able to support the local community, and if you want to get your name out there and get some uh, exposure, we'd love to help you out.
0: Yep, it will be awesome.
1: All right, so let's start with Gerard of Belgium. Mm -hmm. Asks us, what is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything?
0: Oh, I know this one. It's 42. 42.
1: (laughs) I was going to say every man should plant a tree, write a book, and have a kid. Mm. That's the Catalan philosophy. Slipkid, one of our new patrons. People are saying you can now pop smoke in your enemy's shooting phase due to the worrying from the FAQ. Yeah, uh,
2: I've I've been I've heard this
0: argument. Yeah.
1: So as a TO, I'm going to tell you no. End of discussion.
0: I and I think that is the reaction you're going to get from pretty much every TO you put this question to. Is it technically maybe possible? You can make an argument for it. Will anyone ever let you do it? They will not. All right. All right, last question. Last
1: question. Talon writes, what is your favorite anime? And we're going to start with Sean.
0: Oh, man. I'm going to sidestep it by saying basically everything that deconstructs the genre. I'm a huge fan of deconstruction, whether it's Ava, uh, Madoka Magica, or what have you. Okay. Josh?
2: Well, I'm actually what you would probably consider a anime noob. I am, I'd have to say, though, my favorite that I've been exposed to. And ironically, it was actually something I was exposed to as a child and didn't realize it was an anime when I was exposed to it was uh, most of uh, studio Ghibli or Miyazaki. I, I, I love that entire, almost his, uh, almost anything by him. But my personal
0: favorite was the Nausicaa series. Yeah. Shaylin, what's your answer?
1: I have a lot of favorite for different genres, but my overall favorite is princess tutu. It's
0: pretty good. It's got a very interesting animation style.
1: It does. Uh, so for context of our listeners, it's about a duck that turns into a girl that turns into a magic girl that fights ballet
0: monsters. Yes. All right. Well, uh, speaking of writer's block, we have gotten past that as we already have our subject for next week all lined up. Yes.
1: So this teaser is knights, but they aren't the gray version, so I don't care.
0: Yes. They're the the version that actually wins games. Shut up, you. Oh, shots fired, yo. You gonna call me wrong? Yeah.
1: You're gonna end the episode doing this
0: to me again? I, always, yes.
2: No, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Shailen's a towel player. It's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she is now. It's true. I
3: hate you
2: all. <laughs> uh,
0: so, from the Grey Knights player here in the center, say it, Shaylin. It's true now. Oh, I'm so evil. she's uh she's indicating with a gesture that is perhaps not appropriate for (laughs) airtime uh so from uh the double deuce from the left and from the right the
2: this is why i'm evil this is why i'm evil
0: yes thank you all for listening this has been in the finest hour i will kill you
1: all